Welcome to The Market, sponsored by the CME Group. Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona. Friday, January 11th. Orion Samuelson, along with Max Armstrong, joining you for our weekly get-together and our continuing look at the markets that continue to change dramatically every week, or at least so it seems. So we're going to uh, talk to Dale Durkholz of the uh, of the uh, Agrivisor company. He'll be joining us and Max to talk about agricultural markets. But let's take a look at uh, what happened on Wall Street. Uh, not quite as volatile this week as in past weeks. So let's look at the numbers first of all. Today, the Dow Jones ended down nine points at 23,992. The NASDAQ ended down 16 points, closing at 69.69. And for the week, the S&P rose 2.5%, the Dow added 2.5%, and the NASDAQ gained 3.5% for the week. So let's take a look at some of the factors that brought about those numbers on Wall Street on a daily basis and, of course, for the week. Today, we saw the market dropping slightly after five days of winning uh, sessions. But energy shares declined today and investors looked ahead to next week. The earnings season gets underway with Citigroup, J.P. Morgan and other big banks being the first to report quarterly earnings report. And underpinned by optimism over the China-U.S. trade talks and expectations of a slow pace of interest rate hikes from the Federal Reserve, the stock market's winning streak through Thursday at least added 6% to the S&P and left it about 10% from the 20-month low it hit around Christmas. We've fought our way back, and now the market is just waiting ahead of the start of earnings season next week, according to one strategist. And uh, the uh, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, which will report on Tuesday, uh, dropped half a percent. Some bargain hunters are betting on a stronger 2019 for banks after the S&P 500 bank, bank index fell 18.5%. And what are we looking for in the earnings reports? Analysts are expecting the S&P 500 company's earnings per share to grow by 6.5% this year, compared with 23.5% in 2018 when they were supercharged by the newly enacted corporate tax cuts. General Motors gave a strong earnings forecast for 2019, sending the automaker's shares surging 7% after that announcement by General Motors. And it's interesting to note the U.S. automotive industries, I can remember when the only time you would see a pickup would be at a livestock sales barn or in a small town in the U.S. Not true anymore consistently. We see the pickup truck sales leading all the sales of vehicles when the car makers report on what they're doing. And so uh, it's always interesting 
to see the change in the way we're moving around automotively. And uh, it's more and more by pickup trucks rather than by the uh, four-door cars or even the SUVs falling behind in sales in the automotive industry. Today, Netflix up 4% bringing the gain in 2019 to 26%, helped by optimistic analysts' expectations for subscriber growth ahead of its earnings next week. Activision Blizzard dropped 9 and a third percent, the most on the S&P 500 today, after it transferred publishing rights for its Destiny video game franchise to Bungie. And let's look at oil. We always have to check that every week. Uh, Oil prices fell nearly 2% today. Investors worried about a global economic slowdown snapping a nine-day winning streak, spurred by hopes of the U.S.-China trade discussions, but still concerned about um, oversupply of oil. Brent crude dropped a dollar twenty cents to settle at sixty dollars forty eight cents a barrel. That is a two percent loss, and U.S. crude down a dollar to settle at fifty one dollars and fifty nine cents. Still, both benchmarks saw their second week of gains. The Brent rising about six percent, and U.S. crude up about seven point six percent. And the global crude benchmark on Thursday of this week posted its first consecutive nine-day rally since September of 2007. So what do we look for in the week ahead? Well, we look for a ton of earnings reports to kick off the earnings season. And uh, we'll get a slew of banks reporting their quarterly results next week. Banks like J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, Wells Fargo on Tuesday, Goldman Sachs Group, Bank of America, Bank of New York Mellon Corporation, and PNC Financial Services on Wednesday, Morgan Stanley and Key Corp on Thursday, and SunTrust Banks on Friday. J.P. Morgan is expected to report that revenues rose in the fourth quarter of 2018 as the largest U.S. bank benefited from growth in loans and in net interest margins, as well as seasonally higher trading revenues. When Wells Fargo reports its fourth quarter results, investors will be looking for an update on when the bank expects the Federal Reserve to lift the asset cap. And investors will be watching for an update on Bank of America's strategic plan when it reports its fourth quarter earnings. Also on the schedule next week, December retail sales, housing starts, and November business inventories data from the Commerce Department scheduled for release next week. And uh, that has been delayed because of the partial shutdown of the federal government. The Labor Department, though, has not been affected by the shutdown, which began December 22nd. It will release the December producer inflation price data on Tuesday. 
And according to a Reuters survey of economists, the producer price index for final demand likely fell a tenth of a percent in December. There'll be other earnings reports besides banks. We'll also be getting earnings reports from United Health Group, likely to report fourth quarter results on Tuesday. American Express Company expected to report on Thursday as an increase in fourth quarter profit despite spending more on offering rewards to customers. Netflix on Thursday expected to post an increase in international subscribers in the fourth quarter as original shows such as Narcos and Bird Box pulled in users. Delta Airlines expected to post on Tuesday a higher profit and revenue helped by strong travel demand. Germany's Volkswagen and Ford Motor Company expected to unveil their alliance at the Detroit Auto Show on Tuesday. Ford Motor Company CEO Jim Hackett and other executives will try to reboot the automaker's stalled stock price in meetings with investors and analysts on the sidelines of the Detroit show on Wednesday. And the company is expected to show a redesigned Ford Explorer SUV and the latest uh, in automotive shows uh, uh, designed uh, latest variant of its Mustang muscle car. So uh, those are some of the events going on and that uh, Detroit Auto Show will be getting underway early next week and car companies across the world expected to roll into Detroit to show their latest offerings at that show. So a lot going on from the standpoint of the first week of earnings. Taking a look back at this week, uh, we find that uh, consumer prices fell for the first time in nine months in December amid a plunge in gasoline prices. But underlying inflation pressures remained firm as rental housing and health care costs rose steadily. Overall, the report from the Labor Department today painted a picture of inflation that was under control with increases in some categories offset by declines elsewhere. And uh, so that's one of the reports that they had to uh, take a look at and watch this week on Wall Street. And uh, while the talks between U.S. and China trade negotiators are still uncertain as to what actually was accomplished, they're still holding hopes in the industrial world as well as the agricultural world that indeed that meeting in Beijing showed a thawing of the trade tensions between the world's two biggest economies. Well, we're going to talk about uh, the impact on the agricultural world from that meeting. And yes, there's another trade meeting coming up with Chinese and U.S. trade officials. And then there's the uh, beginning of negotiations between the European Union and the United States. We'll get to that a little bit later. But right now, we'll take time out and uh, get ready to join Max and his guests to talk agricultural markets when we continue on the markets sponsored by the CME Group. 
For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Dale Durkos with AgriVisor sitting at the microphone with us this weekend. We have seen the soybean market at times over the past week to 10 days showing some signs of life, and uh, wheat has risen some. Uh, what's your assessment of what we're seeing right now? You know, the interesting twist when you look at the grains, the latter half of December, the market was all down since we opened up and started the in- the new year, the market's basically been higher almost every day with the exception of one. So, you know, it, it's kind of like we transitioned from one side to the other, and that's really not unexpected. We had some timing stuff that said things were going to change at the new year. We also have to look back. A lot of the big uh, investment houses said they thought commodities were going to be a good investment vehicle in 2019. So I think they were taking advantage. We've seen a bit of a push, a bit of a bulge in the grain markets. Beans and wheat have both been stronger. So I think we're setting the table for a little bit better time here in the early part of 2019. No January crop numbers that we generally look forward to seeing. And I'd heard some conjecture that those probably would have been friendly to the market. What's your feeling? The attitude is yes. You know, when you look at the primary numbers, uh, corn yield, you know, a bushel, bushel and a half, pick your poison there. That people think we're going to reduce that corn yield from where they were back in November. So let's talk. 177, 177 and a half. Bean yields, I think, are probably going to go down a quarter to maybe a half a bushel. Take them underneath 52 bushels again. And the winter wheat acres, the longer we grind into this, we're getting people thinking, you know, we don't, we didn't plant the winter wheat acres this year that we did a year ago. So we're down under 32 million now. Globally. The Brazilian crop, we're seeing some private estimates, even in the void of USDA numbers, private estimates are coming down on that crop size, are they not? And even official estimates, uh, Thursday morning, Conab came out, put out their official numbers. They went down about a million and a half ton, down to 118.8 million ton on the bean crop. They made some very minor changes in first crop corn, but nothing really big, so we'll call it unchanged. But a lot of the private trade, uh, we're sitting here right now, a lot of people thinking, you know, 116, 117, 118. I know there's some people that are down there, 113, I even heard a 1, 110. But I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration, at least where we are for the moment. That's still a lot of soybeans. It, it still is a lot of soybeans. There's no doubt about it. It basically is still going to roughly match, you know, the crop we're going to we had here in the U.S. last year. You know, right now you basically look at the, these two heavyweights as producing about the same amount. Timing is critical, is it not, uh, for the arrival of that crop in, uh, from Brazil when it starts coming out of the field? Well, they've already started some real early harvest. There was some stuff even done before the end of the calendar year. Uh, but what we're seeing right now, you know, and we're still in the very early stages yet. Matter Grosso, I haven't even seen an official harvest number yet. So I think, you know, two, maybe three percent at most, even nationwide. It's really a small base. By the time we get to the end of January, we'll be starting to pick up a little bit. Beans were planted early this year, and we hear there were a lot more early beans planted, too. I'm talking fast maturity varieties. People have come to that realization, and that's why some of these production yield numbers have been 
gravitating downward, people going, you know, not only are crops not as good as we thought because of weather and in some key areas, but, you know, these early season varieties are a yield drag too. While we have seen some purchases of our soybeans in the, the global marketplace, is that going to dry up once that Brazilian crop comes in? Well, I really don't think so because, you know, where we're at right now, you know, China's imports are down a little bit. Basically, the uh, African swine fever is still being a bit of a drag over there, and their supplies are a little more comfortable. Bean meal demand in China is a little bit of a drag. But there's still going to be a heavy weight reaching in here, buying what is available coming out of South America, start looking ahead to their spring and their summer needs themselves. So that's going to continue to push the rest of the world back to the U.S. And actually, if you go back and look at soybean purchasing patterns or shipping patterns prior to when China became a heavyweight, let's say the early 90s, you find that we're really following that track. And if that's the case, both sales and shipments probably are going to remain reasonably good as we go all the way into the middle, maybe even late spring. With the business that we'll do with countries other than China, you're saying? Oh, yes, of course. That's one thing I think people didn't do. They didn't step back and go, what's the world like without China? And also without Brazil and Argentina, because China is going to absorb the most of those supplies. Speaking of China for just a moment, let's talk about that African swine fever situation. There are some livestock analysts who say this thing is huge, not just within the borders of China, but spilling out through the rest of Asia and Europe, and that it probably hasn't all been taken into account yet. How do you see that? Well, uh, the the issue with African swine fever is the unknown, you know, and, and that's the real difficult part you get into any kind of disease issue, especially something like this that we really don't have any good known vaccines for at this point yet. Yes, it is a problem in China. They haven't done a good job managing it up till now, although we've been seeing some steps they've been taking here of recent. But still, you know, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I think I, I read a story. They had found some traces of African swine fever in livestock feed. It's called, come on, folks, you need to get all those livestock products out of it because that just perpetuates the problem. It is going to be a bit of a drag. How big? I don't know. I think it's hard to quantify. I think the bigger risk is, you know, being able to look or, or being able to make sure it stays contained in like here in the U.S., maybe even in South America. Europe, you know, we go back last fall, they found a wild boar that had it. Well, they've been able to keep it together. They've been able to manage the, the issues as it is. So I think we're okay there. So I, I think it's these other big producing heavyweights like here in the U.S. or in Europe, maybe even in South America, we need to watch real closely. What is the amount of the irreparable damage we've done to our trade um, in terms of the Chinese market? Long term, I'm, I'm talking about. Boy, to try to put a put a number on it's really. I mean, difficult. you've watched this scene for a long time. What's what's your gut feeling? Oh, there, there's no doubt we've done harm to it uh, because anytime you go back and we can talk about the early '70s in Brazil or yeah in Brazil, you know, and we had our trade embargoes back in 1973 on soybeans because we were running out. <laughs> Japan invested a lot of money in Brazil, and all of a sudden we had production down there start to flourish. At least the early stages. Same thing occurs now. You know, we basically basically took on China, which I think needed to be done. That that I don't have any problem arguing about. But it has done damage to the egg trade, no doubt about it. It's it's business that you're gonna have 
difficulty getting back to where we were because it isn't so much that, that we've damaged demand base you encourage production elsewhere, and that isn't going to go away. Exactly. As we take a look at the Chinese economy, its growth was already slowing ahead of the trade war. What has happened with this uh, dispute that has extended you, back to the middle part of last year? You know, you, you continue to see some economic numbers that, that float out in, you know, whether they're major economic numbers or you look at anecdotal evidence, you know, of what's going on anecdotally. The trade, the, the trade spat we've had with China has had some serious repercussions back into their economy. And I think the seriousness of that and, and, and the extent of that probably played out in, in the negotiations uh, that took place in Beijing last week in which we had some undersecretaries meeting with some of their undersecretaries and work out some of the, the details of these trade issues we're talking about. Their lead negotiator showed up to the meeting. And that said, they're really serious about trying to find some way out of the trade problems we're having right now. Let's talk about farmers this winter and uh, what kind of things you're hearing from them and what you're sharing with them. We hear about a lot of stress, financial stress out there, and some very serious discussions with bankers. Are you hearing that? Oh, there's no doubt about it. You know, the farm community itself uh, is, is really feeling the impact, you know. When you go into the western parts of the Corn Belt where, where prices and basis levels are even worse than they are here in the heart of the Corn Belt, and I hear farmers in Illinois even complaining about the basis levels on beans, for example. But you are hearing stories about financial stress, economic stress down at the farm level. I don't think it's going to go away. Uh, the market facilitation payment, you know, is a little bit of salve on the wound in here. I think it's going to help out a little bit. Uh, but certainly more than anything else, we need higher prices to come along to, to, to at least take some of the pressure off the farmers themselves. I think we're probably going to see some of that here uh, over the course of the next couple of months. I've got some timing things that show that we can have a low in corn, low in beans in April, maybe late March or the earliest. So that's one of the areas that I think farmers need to be very aware of. You know, make sure you have your cash needs covered for the spring and into early summer before we hit that late March-April time period. We would be uh, remiss if we didn't mention the fact, though, that there were some very good yields reported by some farmers in 2018, and that's softened the blow a little bit, hasn't it? Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, I think of those reports I heard out of west-central Illinois on soybean yields around Jacksonville and and, uh, that particular region about bean yields approaching triple digits. That makes up for some some of that deficit in price, doesn't it? It it doesn't matter if you're talking about beans or if you talk about corn. I mean, universally, you know, except for those isolated areas, we really had a good crop again this last year. And nothing really replaces having bushels to sell, you know, and it does offset some of the lower price drag that we're getting here at this point, and it keeps that base income relatively high. But at some point here, you need to see some higher price levels coming along the way because you aren't guaranteed having those great yields year after year. We'll have a few weeks from now USDA generating some outlook numbers. And Hopefully. Uh, that's, yeah, wow, that's true. That's true. I never thought about that. You know, that whole thing could be backed off a little bit too, could it not, if the partial government shutdown continues? Yeah, it's right now. It's scheduled for somewhere around the 20th, 21st of February. February. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact date of it at this point. The issue becomes, though, with that particular meeting and putting together a meeting like this, how do you how do you change the timetable? You really can't. 
you know, because of meeting space, all the people that are committed to uh, come and speak at the meeting, etc., to, to delay it, that's almost an impossibility. So if the government shutdown extends, let's say, beyond the 1st of February, uh, I would imagine there's going to be some real pressure inside of Washington to go, you know, we're just going to have to cancel this thing. Because if you push up too close to it and you don't have USDA people working, you don't have the groundswell of things that are done necessarily for the USDA's portion of those presentations, it makes it difficult. The only thing they could do is reach out into the industry and bring some private people in to kind of fill in the blanks in there and some of that some of that meeting detail itself. And maybe you could still pull it off. But with a government shutdown, there's a lot of things that are unknown. You always shed some light for us, sir. We appreciate your visits. Thanks for coming in. It's always good being here. Dale Durkholz with AgriVisor. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. This weekend, about 6,000 farmers and ranchers have gathered in New Orleans. Members of the American Farm Bureau Federation, 6,000 strong and maybe a few more because they do have some heavy hitters coming in to address that convention. On Monday afternoon, President Trump will address Farm Bureau members in New Orleans along with the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. But some of the other political figures that will be there, besides the Secretary of Agriculture, will be Under Secretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs, Ted McKinney from Indiana. And, of course, he's been in on the trade talks with China and will be in on the trade talks with the European Union. Also speaking will be Senate Agricultural Committee Chairman Pat Roberts, who has announced his retirement for the year 2020. And then Senator Jerry Moran, those are two Republicans from Kansas, Senator James Comer, Republican from Kentucky, and Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith, Republican from Mississippi, will all be appearing on the speaker's platform at the American Farm Bureau Convention. This is a very special convention for the American Farm Bureau. It is their centennial year, 100 years of being involved in determining farm policy for the country, and uh, they're celebrating the centennial in several different ways at the meeting in New Orleans this week. But uh, today, Friday, January 11th, was supposed to be a big day for agricultural reports from the USDA. Didn't happen, of course, because of the partial shutdown of the government, now in its third week, and uh, that meant we have to delay the issuance 
of the data, like uh, acres planted to wheat and final crop production figures for 2018 and uh, grain supply and demand. A lot of activity in the report situation due out today, but now we're waiting to see when USDA will finally be able to get that. We do have one item from Brazil. They keep cutting the uh, Uh, prospects for their soybean crop and this week another consulting firm in Brazil cut the crop by 5.2 million tons because of the dry weather they have had there. And as we take a look at uh, the wheat market to see where we start the trading on Monday, well the March wheat contract gained six cents today. It'll start Monday at five nineteen and a half a bushel. March corn gained two and three quarter cents today, so that contract will start at three seventy eight and a quarter cents. And January soybeans gained three cents and they'll start on Monday at eight dollars ninety nine and a quarter cents a bushel. Turning to uh, livestock trade, April lean hogs dropped 47 cents a hundredweight today. They'll start at $67.35 Monday. February live cattle gained 20 cents for the day, starting Monday at $124.97. And January feeder cattle dropped 57 cents a hundredweight. They'll start the trading week at 114, uh, make that $146.17 a hundredweight. Indeed, a busy week, a busy time of the year, not so much for planting and all the other activity on farms across the country, but it, of course, is meeting time, and that's what we're doing with the American Farm Bureau this weekend, and then the last weekend of the month, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association will be going to New Orleans for their annual meeting. Well, wherever you're going, have safe travels. Thank you for joining Max Armstrong and me, Orion Samuelson, on the markets, sponsored by the CME Group.